Uh, if you can actually be up standing once more, please, uh, for the reading of the word. Uh, as we say every week, it's good for the quads. Uh, so, and um, we haven't prayed about this yet this morning, but just lots of love for all the sports fans <laughs> in the room this morning. Appreciate that you've come here this morning to find a place of refuge. Jesus is still the victor. Hallelujah. He will never, ever not be. Okay, so we're coming into the land now. This is the final passage from uh, the book of Philippians that we're going to be reading. We have read the whole book of Philippians out loud as we finish this uh, particular text. So let's do that this morning. Finally, 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 brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the Gospels, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desired your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied that I have, now that I have received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And grab a seat, friends. Before we dive into the text this morning, uh, just a quick notice about our next series as we finish uh, this one. Uh, we're going to go, so uh, for the last two weeks of term, uh, we're going to have a mini-series called Politics in the Kingdom of God. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, uh, we committed to do this, um, either, it must have been the last election cycle, um, and uh, because there's just, I think, a need uh, for us as followers of Jesus just to really uh, wrestle with the place of politics and our faith and what it looks like to follow Jesus uh, and have politics in the right sort of space within our thinking. So we've got a, a, an epic guest speaker next week, and I'm going to be finishing that uh, mini-series off uh, the final week of term, um, and just trying to get ahead of all the crazy that's about to hit with the election cycle and all the rest of it. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this series, and um, there's nothing like minefields, eh, to keep pastor on his toes, so uh, we're looking forward to hopefully offending everyone. All right, let's... Um, Let's dive into um, let's dive into this uh, final passage. Um, there's been lots of ama- sort of wisdom that we've explored in the book of Philippians so far. Um, what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord, 
the whole idea that no matter what you're going through, if you stay close to God, it really helps you retain your joy. Uh, staying close to Jesus is a smart idea because life's going to throw horrible crap at you. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I don't know a single person that's uh, managed to get through life without going through some painful things. And in those moments that are tricky, when you are close to Jesus, you can retain your joy. You can still have joy because your joy is in the Lord. And here's the reality is that even when you go through the toughest stuff, the hope that we have is that Jesus is indeed on the throne and he has not changed and he is with us. And he is the source of joy and he is the source of peace and supremely he's the source of all love. And so when he's close to you, you can experience those things. This is, it's, it's incredible. You can experience these things. And so throughout the book of Philippians, we've had this term that we've banged on a little, a little bit about, called, uh, which is so called Christological phrenesis. So that's just like, how can you look at your circumstances with Jesus' perspective? Like when you start getting Jesus' perspective, it really helps you navigate the tricky stuff of life. And as you do that again, the peace of God comes and, 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 uh, and you will experience more joy. But as we come into land with this particular letter to the church in Philippi, um, there's this kind of two-punch combo that Paul gives. And then he unpacks a little bit more uh, reasons why he's so grateful for the church in Philippi. So in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, this is punch one. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now that's a, that's, that's a punch because the reality is it's pretty hard to stay clean when you swim in a sewer. Amen? I mean, we just swim in cynicism and like the news cycle is like literally what's the worst thing that's happened in the world and in New Zealand today? Let's read that every single day. Like that's got to form you, right? It's like we just all, you know, and then the All Blacks lose and the Warriors don't look to Christian, you know, and it's like, oh man, there's so much stink stuff to think about. Um, Tom Wright in his uh, uh, little commentary on this verse says, this command in verse 8 to think about all the wonderful and lovely things listed here runs directly opposite to the habits of mind instilled by the modern media. Read the newspapers. Their stock and trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy. <laughs> is that a true representation of God's good and beautiful world? This is the tricky thing. Is that... You, like for us that swim in this every single day, it starts shaping our worldview that the world's just horrible. The world's can't be, you know, all. It, and there's been some fascinating study done amongst. Um, there's a whole there's a whole TED talk on this actually, actually and, and I've talked about this before. But there's a fan, interesting book called Factfulness uh, that's well worth the read. That basically is asking people: Is the world getting better or worse? And what do you think everyone's going to say? It's getting worse. Well, it's like when then you start going through on metrics that really matter, like healthcare and education system and people dying from you know, preventable diseases and all the rest of it, all the trends are phenomenally good. And it's a real spin for people because, again, we are being formed by reading the stuff all the time. So is this a true representation of God's good and beautiful world? How are you going to celebrate the goodness of the Creator? So, again, it affects our worship. 
if you feed your mind only on the places in the world which humans have made ugly? How are you going to take steps to fill your mind instead with all the things that God has given us to be legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and to celebrate? This is a very challenging first hit. You guys are like, this is the first hit of two, so just be prepared, you know, get that right cheek ready because it's coming as well. But that left cheek is getting a little slap right now. With this whole thing, it's like, what does it look like to actually feed ourselves with with the, the list there, you know, noble things and true things and right things and pure things and lovely things and admirable. I mean, what an incredible list. What does it look like to have a lifestyle that lives this? I was watching a, a talk by the sage that is John Mark Comer recently, uh, and next slide, he was talking about what happens in terms of people's faith when this is the world that people swim in. So high digital input with low scripture input um, and, uh, and then uh, a lack of fear of God. So we just get caught up in the ideologies of, of the world uh, and we, we lose that sense of awe and reverence of God uh, and a wounded heart. So that, you know, like where we don't actually hug the cactus, as I like to call it, everyone's favorite thing, but it's like to embrace that most painful part of your soul with Jesus and allow him into that space, which is painful, but to bring deep healing. Everyone's got a wounded heart, whether you deal with it or not. And so what happens over time if we have high digital input, low scripture, if we, we don't have a fear of God and, uh, and, uh, and we don't deal with our wounded heart, that's going to affect you deeply. And this whole talk is actually just about deconstruction. What happens when people, when they swim in this long enough, will eventually walk away from their faith or deconstruct their faith into nothing. So like it has consequences long term what we are feeding ourselves within the journey that we are on. We are invited and Paul is challenging us here to be people that fill our minds with scripture and truth and beauty and to be deeply thankful for God's blessings and to worship God and to be in awe of him and to love him and to pursue him and to invite him to come and heal us deeply. So Paul is urging us to fill our minds with the good stuff. And here's, here's what's so cool is that uh, this isn't just this isn't just Christian stuff in inverted commas. You know how at the end of the day, most Christians we've got a very dualistic kind of worldview. So it's like these things are Christian, these things aren't Christian. And so like often we're like, I fill my mind with the good stuff. That's normally like, well, I've got to fill my mind with some worship music and some podcasts. Nothing wrong with that. Please do that. Swim in that stuff. Brilliant. No problem there. But wait, there's more. There's so much more that this good creator God has given us to enjoy and to celebrate. The world is dripping with his goodness. The world is dripping with reflections of his goodness and grace and beauty. And so uh, Paul's imagination here is like, fill your mind with good music. Come on. Someone needs to buy some better speakers just out of the sermon or some better headphones or something. You're just like, I've got to listen to this with greater high definition. I've, I've done that. I'm living that um, well. <clears throat> Thank you, Jen. Um, but fill, fill, your, fill yourself. Like, literally there are moments I get emotional. Like, I get overwhelmed with the beauty as I'm listening to music. Like, my soul's filled with wonder. I'm like, this is stunning. This is so beautiful. Fill your soul with good music and good art and good food and good waves. 
in Jesus' name. So I've got to speak that in faith a bit over this coming summer. You know, and, and good conversations and great books and look at the trees and appreciate a good lawn and giggle at that comedian. Like we could go on and on and on. Like God's goodness is all around us. And, and when we get trained through, through dumb digital inputs, which would just feed you with discontent because you're comparing your life all time to everyone else and fill you with bad news, that's a rubbish way to live. So, so like, I, don't th- I think more than ever, like, the fact that Paul's writing this 2,000 years ago is a concern to me. They didn't have the flipping iPhone, you know, and they were still struggling. So Paul had to write to Philippi, hey, guys, like, don't, don't, don't think, you know, stop reading the papyrus, but actually, you know, like, look at all the beauty. I'm like, for us, right now, you could pick up and read about the warriors losing. That's going to just do something to your soul, which isn't good. Go up the wires. You know, it's like, what does it look like for us to actually fill our minds and hearts with all of the abundant beauty of God all around us? That's the first punch. Get ready for the second. Verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So this is, this is one of my favorite verses of the whole book, actually, because at, here at Bay Vineyard, like probably the theme scripture when it comes to our, our approach to discipleship uh, is, is found in Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verse 24, which Paul echoes here. But, Paul, uh, but Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, says this, anyone who hears, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, I love this because it, when, I, when I got my head around this a number of years ago, it completely changed my whole philosophy of what church is about. And it made sense to me. I was like, man, why have we been busting our guts for, for, for decades and seen so little fruit in terms of radical disciples of Jesus? And here's why. Because we have had an approach predominantly in the Western church that says information will transform people. So sermons, Bible studies, our, our small groups have predominantly been around a Bible study sort of methodology, and we've had all this content. And then we've swum in a world now that you can literally listen to N.T. Wright or Tim Keller, all the biggest brains of the Christian universe, within seconds on any given subject. Has that led to radical disciples of Jesus? It hasn't. Because information will not transform you unless it's applied. So information is helpful because, and I've said this with a hundred times here, I'd love, I'd love this to get memorized. I'd love someone to just get up and say it because here's the riff. Information can bring revelation. Hallelujah. Information's super important. You've got to start there. That's where you get wisdom. But it's the application of that information that brings about the transformation. And so what Paul and Jesus are saying here is like, you've got to put these things into practice in your life. And so the the core idea is simply this, is that your lifestyle should change a little bit year in, year out to align up with Jesus's lifestyle a little bit more if you are apprenticed or discipleship, discipled to Jesus, right? So a little bit more. So what, a little bit more what? A little bit more lifestyle of Jesus. So what that could look like, Jesus went and had times of solitude and withdrew to lonely places. So our life a little bit, every single year, a little bit more, we should be able to go to places of silence and solitude as some sort of rhythm and just be with Jesus and sit in his presence and let all the churny stuff bubble its way up 
and bring it to him. And all the things, like this is one example. Jesus, he's practiced fasting. It's like, when you fast. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. When you fast. So it's like, well, I'm going to try and stick that horrible spiritual discipline. If Jesus said it, then it's motivated by love and will lead me to life, right? Jesus says, good for me. So I'm going to stick that horrible practice, spiritual discipline, in my rhythm somewhere. But but do you see what I'm saying? Sabbath, the clearest spiritual discipline in the Bible after prayer. In the Ten Flipping Commandments, punishable by death if you don't do it in the Old Testament. And yet, we really have hardly talked about it in the West in recent times. But I'm like, well, every year I want to lean in a little more to what that could look like. Blah, 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 right? On we go. Prayer, devos, withdrawing to line, all that sort of stuff. So G.K. Chesterton, a wonderful British um, writer, philosopher, apologist, um, he said this great line. He said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and failed. It's just that Christianity has so rarely been tried. And this is what Paul's getting. It's like, what have you seen in me, heard from me, put it into practice, but then what's the next line? And then the God of peace will be with you. And here's my take. I'm like, I long for us as a church to be people. And I, I'm, I'm saying like this isn't happening. It is happening, which is beautiful. It's unbelievably slow, but it will happen. I think you think Rachel Hunt it, right? There it is. Um, it may, may make another appearance this sermon. You never know. Um, but, but here's the thing. Like the dream, folks, is that our soul is filled with love, joy, and peace. More and more and more and more, right? That's the, that's the dream. Is that God has he so transformed me from glory to glory, I'll become more like Jesus, the one who's filled with love, joy, and peace. That that would be my experienced reality increasingly. But here's my thing, is that I've talked to a bunch of people because we've hit this drum so hard over the years. And, and sometimes people are just like, I'm not experiencing it. And it's like, so then we have the yarns around, so what is it, like, how's it going trying to live out these spiritual disciplines? How's the discipleship going? And normally it's not. In fact, always it's not. (laughs) So my big thing is like, you can't dismiss this thing as not working if you haven't given it a good nudge. Right? So here's my word for you for some of you guys today, because resonance doesn't equal obedience. Right? Resonance doesn't equal obedience. Just because you resonate with what I say doesn't mean you, the idea of going hard for Jesus demands nothing of you. Nothing. But I tell you what, when that alarm goes off early and the house is cold and you trudge to the kitchen feeling rubbish and sleepy and not knowing if you believe in whether your legs function, let alone Jesus is real, and then you get that coffee and you go to... And then you sit in your little office and the coffee kicks in. You think maybe God is real. And then you open your Bible and then you start. That's when it matters. That's when it starts mattering. Like when things actually start getting applied to your life. So here's my thing is like, if you're like dissatisfied, and I pray, I am to be really honest, massively. I pray that there'll be a holy dissatisfaction with the state of our souls. So like if, if you're dissatisfied, my thing is like, why don't you give it a good nudge again? Why don't you just give it a good nudge again? Why don't you be like, all right, I'm going to, for the next three months, 
I'm going to give a good nudge. I'm going to try and do my devos as often as I can. I'm going to get to upper click. I'm going to get my huddle happening because I've got to be accountable to this stuff because I'm, I've just slipped into bad habits all the time and I need to be accountable, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to try my best best to, to actually Sabbath, which means also, like, look through all our material. We've got heaps on this. We've literally got a whole webpage of all the spiritual things that, you know, just get re-engage with the things. I'm going to give this a good crack. I'm going to get my rule of life out that I've made at the beginning of the year, which I don't know where it is. I'm going to find it again, and I'm going to rewrite my rule of life, and I'm going to give it another nudge to see how it goes. And in three months' time, I will judge the state of my soul. And I, I can tell you, you'll be a different person. Put it into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. Put it into practice. All right, please, Paul, chill out now. But it's interesting because he flows out of these two ideas, fill your, what your inputs are, and then actually do the stuff, don't just think about it. And then he flows very naturally, as obvious, into this whole idea that out of that you become a deeply contented person. Interesting, eh? So verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your consent for me. Because again, Paul is, is, has to survive via financial gifts, particularly when he's in prison. Uh, he says, I've, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And he's like, I know what it is in to, to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in, uh, in any and every situation while well-fed or hungry. Interesting here, living with plenty or want. How many of us, like, like we know what it is to be content when we've got all the things. But how many of us can say we've been content when we're really hungry because we don't have any money? Like that in, the, in our Western culture, again, is just a very foreign experience unless you choose to have the fasting thing. But Paul is like, he's, he, and again, all the scholars are like, he's predominantly actually lived, pre, since he came to faith, he's pretty much been hungry and in want. <laughs> Occasionally he's been well-fed and had a little bit extra, but most of the time but he's learned to be content. So Beth Moore, I love this, says, notice that Paul did not say, I know the secret of being content, or nor did he say, I inherited the secret, or I received a word of knowledge regarding the secret of being content. He says, I have learned to be content. I have learned. This is something that you can learn. Now, contentment is not easy in a world that we swim in that breeds discontent. Our economic system is primarily built off making you discontent. So like, how do we be content when you're going to see 10,000 advertisements today saying that you need this and you shouldn't be happy until you've got it? <laughs> like, this is an act of rebellion, against the world in which we lived. Like to step into, to pursue, but to learn contentment is an act of rebellion in our, in our, in our world that tries to breed discontent uh, in your life. But the classic thing is, and we know this as pragmatic truth, but it's so hard to live in it. We know that that thing will not ultimately satisfy whatever it is that we long to have that you think will finally make you happy, Right? I mean, there's new iPhones coming out every year. I don't know what number we're up to. Does anyone know? 14, is it? 15. The new, one, the new one's coming out. Okay, 15. I won't ask how you know that. Um, but um, will the iPhone 15 make you happy? I mean, it'll be awesome for the first day. Don't get me wrong. And there's a whole dopamine journey that you'll take in terms of anticipation of getting the new iPhone 15 and what it's going to do to you. But how quickly does that wear off? 
like freaky quickly. It, it, it doesn't satisfy. We know this is wisdom, but it's so hard to live in it. This has been around forever. There was this uh, classic story I read about this uh, 10th century ruler in Spain uh, called Abdarrahman III, most powerful, one of the most powerful leaders in Spanish history. Um, and like he had, like he was a, like those cats at that time, 10th century, everything he wanted, he could have. Everything. You name it. Every naughty thing, every pleasurable thing, every financial thing, the, everything to do with power and celebrity, all of it. And he writes this. I have now reigned above 50 years in victory or peace, beloved by my subjects, dreaded by my enemies, and respected by my allies. Riches and honours, power and pleasure have waited on my call. Nor does any earthly blessing appear to have been wanting to my felicity. He says, listen to this. In this situation, I have diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot, and they amount to 14. <laughs> so... I mean, Solomon could have told him that a little earlier if he had read the book of Ecclesiastes, who just bangs the drum, everything's meaningless after having that and more. So ultimately, having the things doesn't make us happy. So Paul here is like, you can learn to be deeply content. He says, I've learned. And Charlotte talked about this last week. Just earlier in the passage, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre present your request to God. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Listen, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's a big line. What is God's will for you? God's will for you is that you would rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. This is is God's will for your life. That's big. Am I right or am I right? What's God's will for my It's right there. I mean, it's the general will. What's the specific will? You have to nut that out. Uh, Charlotte had this great slide last week, which was super helpful. It was like, here's the formula for all the nerds. Pray your worries, tell your needs, remember thankfulness, and then you'll, you'll be on the receiving end of God's peace. So... There's a bunch of ideas here that Paul uh, has, uh, wants to give us in terms of like how can we be content. And, and this is super helpful, like to pray, to, to bring your worries to God, to tell your needs. But the thankfulness thing's massive. Um, when, when I read that, particularly in, in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, uh, to rejoice always, that, that fundamentally shifted something in me, particularly when it's like, again, resonance doesn't equal obedience, Harvey, so what does it look like to live out a grateful lifestyle? And I've banged this drum a whole bunch of times, but I'm like, actually getting my journal out a number of times a week and writing down the things I am grateful for helps me become a deeply content person. As I sit in the presence of God and as I'm in prayer, enjoying his presence, bringing my needs sure before him, but as I'm practicing gratitude, not just thinking it'd be nice to be a grateful person, as I practice gratitude, it helps me just rejoice and be so grateful for God's abundant blessings all around me. 
Uh, and this is just the gift of God. Uh, it's interesting, Tom, uh, again, right in his uh, commentary on this, says many other philosophers of the time spoke of contentment, but they usually, though, developed the idea in terms of self-sufficiency. You could find the resources within yourself, they said, so that you could smile at the fluctuating fortunes which life threw at you. Paul has a different view. I am strong enough for anything, he says, because of the one who gives me strength. So I can be deeply content because of, A, the abundant blessings all around me, I practice gratitude, but secondly, because God is with me and he can give me strength to be content. I mean, if it requires, this is Paul saying, being content is not easy. So don't for a second church think that this morning this is super easy to live. It's not, but you can do it through Christ who will give you the strength to be content in a world of discontent. You can do it. You can be, just try and picture for a second what it would feel like to be deeply content. To be deeply content. This is my body. I'm content. (laughs) This is my marriage. Well, this is my singleness. This is my home. This is my car. This is my job. This is my friends. This is my reality. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm so blessed. What did it look like to be deeply, deeply, deeply content? secret is he can give us the strength to be content. This is why your devotional life is crucial. Trying to be content, disconnected from the source of, the, of strength to be content is asking for trouble. And what will happen is that if you swim on your phone long enough, it'll just breed that life of comparison where you're constantly comparing your life to people that look like they have a better life and it will breed discontent in your life. So again, those inputs are super important. Verse 14, yes, it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance in the gospel, when I sent up from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. So Paul's now going to start wrapping up just the, the warm vibes that he's got towards the church in Philippi. But this is an interesting little moment, and we want, we're not going to dive deep into this, but it's like, I've, just, I've sat in this passage, and I'm like, Paul planted a bunch of churches and then shoots off and he's planting his different churches. But as he's planting different churches, like he gets into real financial need. And all these churches just ignored him that he'd planted. Like, can you imagine how discouraging that would have been? Like, this guy's suffering and these guys don't care. And he planted the blinking churches. <laughs> that stink <laughs> in anyone's books, right? Uh, except for the church in Philippi, um, who... Uh, who who looked after Paul, and that's why Paul just loves this church. He's so grateful for them. But, but this is the reality. There will be times of discouragement that we will go through in ministry and in life. Um, and there'll be that sense where at different times in our life, all of us will go through those times where we go, man, can anyone actually see what I'm carrying here, what I'm going through, how tough, how tough it is? And Paul experienced that feeling of, of feeling a bit unseen. But the beautiful thing is that there will also be people or churches who do see and who do care for you. And, uh, and, and Paul's encouraging us to be deeply grateful for those people and for those churches. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more, uh, to be, cred- that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Tom Wright says this, Philippian ends like that. 
At last we understand the full extent of why Paul is so grateful for the partnership in the gospel which this church in particular has exercised. It isn't just that they have now sent him money with Epaphrodites as their willing messenger, it's that this has continued a, this has continued a habit which goes back right to the beginning. And this is what we see why the whole letter has the warm tone, the sense of deep trust and affection that we have sensed throughout. Like there is a culture that got birthed in the church in Philippi of being beautifully generous of being a generous community. And generosity, again, Paul is, Paul's talked about you know, inputs. He's talked uh, about, uh, about learning uh, to, to uh, put things into practice. He's talked now about being content. And then he's finishing off again just this gratitude to this church for being so generous. But here's the thing. Generosity is one of the things that helps us be freed from our discontent. Generosity, like nothing is more awesome than generous people terms of the freedom that they have to be generous. There's something about that culture that is so reflects the heart of God because God so loved the world that he gave that which was most precious to him. He is the generous God. He pursues us in his generous love. He's so wonderful. So generosity, uh, Paul's just celebrating the culture of generosity because it wasn't a one-off moment. These guys just had this thing of like, man, how can we be looking after Paul? What's going happening over here? Let's go do another offering and send that over there. Generosity reflects the heart of God. It, it, it says, people say this, faith is spelt R-I-S-K, risk. You've got to risk on God sometimes. That's what faith looks like, right? But here's what commitment is spelt. M-O-N-E-Y. Money. If you're committed to kingdom causes, you'll give. If you're committed to, to the, the purposes of God, you'll give generously. And Paul here talks about like, you guys have given, and this is like a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. This is like worship to God. So Paul's like, I appreciated the gift, really cool. But at the end of the day, the reason I'm stoked is because of how much this blesses the heart of God. And he uses the term like sacrifice, which again, for those that are listening to this in Philippi, like uh, harkens back to the whole Old Testament system where they would sacrifice their offering to God. Do you know how nuts that is? It's like, you know, they'll have drink offerings and pour out... It's such a waste of money. Have you thought about it? Have you stopped and thought about it? It's like, I'm going I'm to raise up this little goat or whatever, little sheep, and then I'm going to take the best one that's worth money. It's worth income to me, and I'm going to bring it to the temple, and I'm going <coughs> to... And then, that is dead. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a very active imagination. And the, the sheep didn't die the first time. Um, <laughs> that's it. And then we burn it. Literally, we burn it. This, the equivalent is this. Get the buckets. Pass them around. All right, we just stick it out here. Just do a little bonfire and <laughs> gone. That, like, this is, when it comes to, Supreme, when it comes to our giving, ultimately it's worship to God, a fragrant offering. It's just like there's something about the heart that is revealed in our generosity to God and trust and delight and wonder and gratitude and, and, and that we trust in Him. And this is where Paul finishes in verse 19. 
because Paul knows who the heart of God. So for Paul to live a life that's poured out, to live a life where there's a lot of need and where he's hungry at times and he goes through all the torture he goes through and he writes us from a prison for the sake of the gospel. For Paul, it's like he just wants to pour his life out for God. Why? Verse 19, because my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Like Paul's so captured who God is. He's so captivated with his goodness. He knows he's a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. He knows, he knows that God, he's a good heavenly father who can be trusted to supply all your needs. Not all your greeds. All your needs. And like honestly, every single person in the room today, ultimately, if you've trusted in God, he will supply. You'll be able to give testimony. He has supplied my needs. I'm standing here before you after some journey of my walk of God, trusting him deeply. He has always provided everything we've needed. In times I've been freaking out, <laughs> wondering when, you know, how it was going to work out. He has always come through. Sometimes I've clicked later or a click too soon than I'd like, but, but that, I think he's having a giggle as that stuff happens. He's good. We can trust in him. He's merciful and kind and gracious and generous. And, th- and he, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, he will meet our needs. Isn't he good? And then he comes into these final greetings. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are sending greetings, blah, blah, blah. It's again, it's a letter. So it's like, hey, don't have you seen, hi, Charlie, yeah, that's good. Hey, old Bob's doing all right. And old Sharon, yeah, she's hanging in there. How's her hip, you know, and all that sort of stuff going on. And it's so it's this lovely sort of thing. But I love this at the end, this last, the very last verse of the book of Philippians. And here we are. We're coming into land. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What a great line. I mean, you just got to soak in that. The grace, after all the challenges that Paul's given us, all the encouragement, all this desire to imitate Jesus and to have a Christological phrenesis and to put into practice stuff and for all the challenges and all this stuff. Ultimately, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace. It's all grace. It's like, hallelujah. Like, you can, you can apply the wisdom into your life and your soul will flourish. But even if you're a little stubborn mule who doesn't want to be led by God into places of human flourishing, the grace of God. The grace of God is sufficient. Hallelujah. The grace of God. You can rest on the grace of God. It's... Like this is it, it, like when Paul in Philippians three sixteen said, "So now let us live up to what we have already attained." Paul has said, "Like we have been declared holy and righteous. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. So now let us become who we already are in Christ Jesus. Let us live up to what we have already attained in Him. Let's become who we already are in Him. This is theologically crucial because it." As Dallas Willard said, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. So there's nothing I earn. I, I don't earn any of it through my good behavior and my fasting and my spiritual discipline. I earn, it's all grace. But then I make the effort to become more like him. I make the effort to respond in wisdom to what he's called me into. I, I put it into practice so that I'm not a stupid idiot, but that I'm actually a person who's got the, who's got the Christological phrenesis of actually trying to live the way of Jesus, the only way that leads to life. The only way that leads to life. 
It's all grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It's a gift. It's grace. And so, as we come into land this morning, uh, to summarize my five-point buffet, which we can blame Paul for the lack of structure and some of it. No, it's brilliantly structured, whatever. Uh, here's the thing. Let's, number one, let's be conscious of the inputs. What are we feeding ourselves? And again, the second point is put it into practice. So what are some things that you can do that can help you live in the world of this a little bit more smartly? Like what's some, something practical that you can do out of the sermon that says, I'm going to change my input level. I'm going to increase scripture, lower social media. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to Netflix it every other day rather than twice a day. <laughs> Whatever it may be. But what, you know, this week I've been getting, su- you know how like this is going to be a battle, like because there's some, uh, this, is, this isn't evil, this is just a bit of tech. It's like, it's like how we use it that can be good or evil. But we're going to have to just keep yarning about this thing in terms of being a follower of Jesus. And this week I got just annoyed at myself again because, you know, I just got into doom scrolling. And it never ends. And I was like, where'd that half hour go? Oh, no, you know. And then I was like, what has this done for my mental health? Nothing, but slightly click it down that way. All the rest of it. So then, like, again, we just have to get annoyed at ourselves and put some stuff into practice here in terms of input. So I added my little screensaver now, which says, do you want to pick me up right now? <laughs> I, wasn't gonna, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but because um, I was like, I don't even know how that got in my hand and I don't even know how I opened the app, you know, else? And I'm like, but here I am. I'm meant to be having my quiet time, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, I've got to stop and actually think here. Like, do I want to pick this? Like, why am I picking this up? Blah, blah, blah. Change the inputs or be, in, be just thinking about those inputs, particularly, guys, it's spring, you know, and it's good vibes. I don't want to, you know, I want to, I want to, hey, and hey, and hey, and hey, and sit there, and whatever. That was a surfing move. It was a round, roundhouse cutback, obviously. Um, duh. Um, it was a really bad one as well. So, change the input, put it into practice. Thirdly, let's commit to learn to be content in a discontent world. Let's practice gratitude, crank the devos, and ask God to give us strength, give us his strength to be content. Fourthly, let's live generously. And and fifthly, let's trust in his nature as we do that. Change the inputs, put put the stuff into practice, learn to be content, live generously, trust in his nature. Those are the five things that Paul's gone bang, 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 as he's come into land with the letter. And then the grace of Christ be with your spirit. Hallelujah. Let his grace hold you, sustain you, wash over you. Just receive it with scandal, the beauty, the glory of his grace. Just sink in that. Amen. Let's stand together.